0: We're Missy Phoenix, a community of God's people, learning to live in God's ways for the sake of our city. We're going to be jumping to 1 Corinthians chapter, who can guess what the chapter is? We're talking about the theme of love this week. (laughs) Chapter 13, good job. If you've ever been to a wedding ceremony... You probably have heard 1 Corinthians 13, at least in part before, right? So Advent is this season where literally the word just means arrival. It just means the arrival of something or someone notable, right? It makes a, a difference. So you might have heard or read in a textbook at some point, growing up through school, that the advent of the printing press completely changed the way that information was given out. And if you just are like, I don't understand any of the words you just said, what it it means is just like when people learn how to actually start printing things on paper, it changed the way the world communicated and received communication, and it actually helped with education. Everyone started learning how to read suddenly, right? So the advent of, the arrival of this technology changed things. And what we talk about, what we mean here when we talk about advent is the arrival of the Messiah, the promised rescuing king, Jesus, the son of God. His arrival changed everything. And as we've been journeying through an overview of the whole story of scripture, we decided we're not gonna just like take a pause from that and then rewind where we already covered the birth of Jesus during Christmas time. We've already talked through that and seen that. But what we're gonna look at is how these four themes of Advent, which the church historically has practiced for a long time. It's usually just like our non-denominational churches that many of you like me were a part of, right? Growing up that like we lost that, but actually it's not just a Catholic thing. <laughs> um, tons of church history and tradition has, set, has said, we will look at these four themes of what the advent, the arrival of Jesus into this world brought. And so we're looking at the early church the earliest followers of Jesus after he died and rose again and ascended to heaven and said, I'm giving, wait for my father sending you my spirit to empower you to be the people we've called you to be. During that time, how did they see that they actually had a hope to hold on to in the midst of this world? And so last week we looked at hope and we said, hope is not just wishful thinking like we talk about in our culture, right? Like, man, I really hope I get a raise, right? Right? I really hope this pandemic thing would end. Like, that's not based off of anything. It's a wishful thinking. But biblical hope is a confident assurance in what God will do, rooted in what God has already done in history. We can trust it's gonna happen because God has shown himself to be faithful. And so this week we're looking at love, that actually the earliest followers of Jesus were compelled to and called to express and live in this love greater than anyone else they knew, greater than anyone else around them. In fact, Jesus said, it's by your love that the rest of the world will know that you're following me, that you're my disciples. And so the earliest church learning to grow in this love because they have seen love come through Jesus. And love, again, is another word that in our culture could be defined a ton of different ways, right? Right? I just want to say love is not a dopamine high. It's not just the warm fuzzies, right? It's not just an emotion. It can be expressed through all those things, but that is not the defining factor of what love is. But love instead, biblical love, love that comes from God himself, who is love, the source of love, love is continually keeping covenant commitment. I'm on that alliteration train for it. Hold on, let me step away from that. Let me say it again. So, you know, continually keeping covenant commitment. What does that mean? What I mean by that is it's intentional. It's relational. It's actionable. It's sacrificial. That it is when times are good or times are bad, when you have the warm, fuzzy feelings or you don't, that you're committed to through your actions, through your living, not just the words you say, but the work of your hands too, continually keeping a committed covenant relationship with somebody. That's the love that scripture is calling us to today. And so we're going to read all of chapter 13, but I want to back up for a second because it's not just text we can use to give us the warm fuzzies during a wedding ceremony. But right before that, in chapter 12, Paul's actually talking to a community of believers who he spent probably the most time with out of any other church that he wrote to, out of any other city. He was there for about a year and a half, we believe. And at this point in his life, he's now thrown into prison because he's going around calling people to follow Jesus. And from prison, he starts writing these letters to these communities that he spent time with. And so he writes to the Corinthians, and actually, there was a most likely, a lot of theologians believe there is some dissension even between them and Paul himself. And what he's reminding them is, hey, we're united by love. And so in chapter 12, he's reminding them how we're united as one. We're united as one body. And this body has many different parts, and each part has a different role to play. But knowing where they were going with that, in the same heart, in the same vein, that two of Jesus's disciples said, hey, Can we sit at your right hand, Jesus, when you get into your kingdom? This ambition, this selfish ambition was going on in this community in Corinth too. Knowing that, Paul said, hey, I know what you're thinking. I know you're going to say, how do I get to be the best part? How can I play the most important role? How can I be this part of the body, the the mouthpiece or the heart or something really valuable, right? Not like the toe, you know? He says, no, no, every part is valuable. But then he uses a little bit of what's called hyperbole. In fact, in the Greek, in the original language he writes us in at the end of chapter 12, it's where we get the word hyperbole from. Let me just read to you the end of 12 real quick. He says this Verse 31. I'm sorry, back up. Verse 30. Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in other tongues? Do all interpret? but desire the greater gifts. He's almost, it's almost like a sarcasm. Go ahead and desire the things you think are the best. He says this, and then I will show you an even better way. Go ahead, like aspire to be the greatest among you. That's fine. It's really all the same. Let me tell you about the thing that every single one of us, no matter what your gift or your role is, no matter what your skills or experience are, let me show you what every single one of us is called to. So chapter 13, I'm going to read the whole chapter. It's just 13 verses. This is what he says is the better way. If I speak human or angelic tongues, but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so that I can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give away all my possessions, and if I give over my body in order to boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy, is not boastful, is not arrogant is not rude, is not self-seeking, is not irritable, and does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. But as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. For we know in part, we prophecy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put aside childish things. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully as I am fully known. Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. This is God's word. Father, we ask that you would speak to us through your word here, address addressed to us this morning. Lord, that you would teach us, train us, most importantly, transform us by the power of your spirit, that we would look more and more like your perfect son, Jesus, as you work in us today. Lord, speak through me and keep my mind and my words from error and from distracting anybody from seeing you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. It's probably about 15 years ago, my wife called me up and was like, hey, do you want to go see a concert tonight? We used to love going and seeing live music. It could be a big show. It could be a really small coffee shop show. Uh, that's where a lot of our relationships started from was first we met at this little concert venue that our church youth group put together. Where Bethany would book the bands, and I, as you could tell by my intimidating stature, was in charge of security. Marty is laughing. No, I can tell some of you were like, I wanna laugh, but I think he's serious. Let's just give him that one. He thinks he's tough, okay. So that was where a lot of our friendship was built, and then as our relationship progressed, I would go and see her play at these open mic night and coffee shop uh, venues, and that's where our relationship flourished. And so we had this passion for music and for seeing live music. And she was like, hey, there's, there's this concert thing happening right by your work. So when you get off work, do you want to go, maybe we can grab a bite to eat and then we can go check that out. And it was similar to what we experienced. It was at a church doing like this coffee shop kind of thing. We're like, oh, that's cool. Let's go check it out. could be cheesy, but it could be cool. So we got there and it was definitely very cheesy. It was their youth band. So like they had their like worship band for their youth. It was made up of all their youth, which is cool. That's great. Like do your thing. But if you're going to invite the community in, like you should probably have a better band up there. It was just really bad, really bad. And we're like, all right, that's fine. And we're kind of checking our watch. Like how long should we sit through this? Uh, and then their pastor gets up, like their senior pastor gets up to give a little message kind of in between them doing their songs. And we wanted to do that thing that many of you probably want to do when our band stops playing and I get up here, you're like, can I sneak out of here real quick, right? Uh, but we didn't want to look rude. And <laughs> so I was like, all right, let's, let's give it a shot. And it wasn't a bad message, right? Like he, he did a fairly decent job. You know, kept my attention. It was a good word. I was like, okay, cool. And then it got weird. Yeah, you're like, it already was kind of weird, right? Then it got really weird. He goes, hey, And if you see anybody here who you are not 100% sure that they are following Jesus, that they have been saved by the blood of the lamb, you do not let them leave this room until they have been converted. And then people start bursting out in tongues or something. Honestly, like there was someone doing this, like Xena warrior princess cry. There was... Probably someone clucking like a chicken, if I remember right. It was 15 years ago. But it was weird. And then, no joke, people went and literally, this, they had their security team go and stand in front of the door. Like they were blocking. And everybody's head, when he said, if you aren't sure, that they know, they all, on a swivel, focus in on the two of us. Because we were the only two there who weren't part of their church. And we're like, whoa, that's just got kind of awkward. And then a line starts forming up one after another, do you know the love of Jesus? Yeah, actually we do. Well, when, when was the date that you received the Lord? Like for real? So one after another, we had to go through our story of like, this is how we know Jesus. Like, I don't have to prove this to you, but And then they'd they'd see like, oh, we're not going to be the one to get them to say the prayer. So they walk away from the line, next person right up. Same questions, following a script. We're like, what is happening? And there's people standing in the doorway. I got to be honest with you. Like, I don't, I did not feel loved in that moment. Did not feel the love of Jesus present. Felt like we were a project. Felt like we were like another notch that they could mark. Like, we got another salvation this year. Right, and and there was just like this really weird, random things that you could say were marks of being filled by the Spirit, but actually, just this is why I haven't named the church because I'm gonna just say it. It felt demonic because you could have all these powerful looking things, but when it's void of the love of Jesus, what did Paul say? It was just a noisy, clanging symbol, like they're just yelling. We don't get up and start clucking like chickens and doing warrior princess cries, right? Like, however, however, we could be a noisy clanging symbol just as easily. We could stand up here and we could do all the missile stuff and talk about our, our six symbols that help you understand the true story of the world. Do you really live in the true story? Or are you following after the story of the culture? And that's just noise when it's void of the love of God seen through Jesus. Like there can be a wrong way to share the good news of Jesus. The only time it's the wrong way, it's not when you don't have really eloquent speech. It's not when you aren't really trained. God uses that still. It's when you don't have the love of Jesus in it. So Paul's writing to them, listen, you can go after all these. It's great. Like you've seen people speak in tongues, which by the way, that... It's become a weird thing now because we translate it tongues. The the word literally means languages. Like what happened when the 11 disciples came out on the day of Pentecost when the spirit filled them and Peter starts preaching, it's everybody in their different language heard and understood. It wasn't this weird thing, just like a bunch of consonants strung together that you can't make sense of. It was actually for bringing clarity and understanding. It was out of love that those who couldn't understand understood, right? And so people are seeing this stuff happen, and it's powerful. And they're going, I want to do that. I want to be like that. I want people to notice me doing that. And suddenly the whole heart intent, the whole motivation has shifted from love to serve other people that they would hear the good news to, hey, look at me, pride which is exactly what was the problem at the beginning of the story in the garden, right? This pride entered. Maybe I, maybe I could do this. Maybe I could be seen as great. Maybe I could build my kingdom. And you have a whole lot of that happening, even within communities of people really striving to follow Jesus. And I say that confidently because there's a whole lot of that happening in my heart like every day. I'm pretty sure some of you are kind of like me in that that there's this desire to do these things for the Lord, but then there's also this other thing at war with us, this desire, like, I hope I do a really good job at that. People will think I'm really cool. Or people will think I'm a really humble servant, right? And so Paul's seeing this happen in this community, that these people are, they're beginning to get kind of at odds with each other, and at war with each other. Now suddenly they're vying for the top seat, for this position of notoriety to be noticed by other people. And now what are they lacking? Love between one another. So he says, you can go after all that stuff. That's fine. It's not going to get you what you're looking for. And it's not going to serve the purpose of the mission that Jesus has called us into. Let me show you a more excellent way. And he says this, this is what love is not. Not. It is not envious or boastful. It's not arrogant. It's not rude or self-seeking. It's not irritable. It does not keep a record of wrongs. It does not rejoice in wickedness or unrighteousness. Now, if you can just pause for a second, I'm sure that the Corinthians, hopefully, Lord willing, I believe, because the power of the Spirit was present in that, like they, they heard this and it probably cut them. I think if we could pause for a second it may be true for us too. That we could think like, no, I, I have the love of Jesus in me. And we do if you're in Jesus. But have you ever been envious? Have you ever been boastful? Arrogant or prideful? I could do that better. I'll just tell you, here's the one that got me. is not irritable. Mostly parents are laughing right now because they're like, yeah. When I'm at home with my family and I'm irritable and I want to dress it up and say, well, I'm just trying. I'm I'm frustrated because I'm trying to help train my kids in the ways of the Lord. No, no, no. If I'm irritable in that moment, I am not expressing the love of Jesus. We all get there, right? Right? Am I saying that you do not have the love of Jesus, that you do not know the love of Jesus? No, what I'm saying is in that moment, you are not abiding in. You are not rooting yourself in. You are not fully submersing yourself in the love of Jesus. You're forgetting your first love and you're living out of a different story. Why do we get irritable? Because somebody is doing something that is against the way I thought this should go, right? And it's not fitting my ideals. It's not fitting my agenda. It's not fitting my dreams, my hopes, my whatever. So I get irritable because of my selfish ambition getting in the way from loving and serving this person to the point of even giving myself over because that's how Jesus loved and served us to the point of death. Like on the cross, not irritable, not self-seeking. Not my will, Father, whatever your will is, is what he says. Not angry, like the very people murdering him and he's going, Father, would you forgive them? They have no clue what they're doing. Jesus exemplified this love. It was exemplified when he was born into this world by the Spirit because he didn't have to come down. So we sang that song when we started, love comes down. God being love himself, coming down to be with us was a sacrificial, relational, intentional movement toward us. Our actions, our thoughts, our words, do they display sacrificial, intentional actions toward other people or toward God. Now listen, this message is not just to beat us all up, right? Like we're supposed to be (laughs) celebrating the love we have because of Jesus. And it's just like, oh, you guys don't show enough love. Like shame on you, right? No, no. This is to remind us the need we have to continually go back to Jesus over and over and over and over again. Because the Corinthians needed to be reminded. Paul spent a year and a half with them, teaching them, no doubt, this very stuff. And they needed to be reminded. Not because they were no longer following Jesus, but because they had a moment of losing sight of their first love. And so I want to encourage us and spur us on to turn our direction, our gaze, back to Jesus the one who has loved us perfectly. He says that love is a thing that will never end in verse eight. But he goes on to say, listen, all the things you're, you're going after, they are temporary. He says, prophecies, they will come to an end. Tongues, they will cease. Knowledge, it will come to an end. We know in part now, we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will come to an end. This is why you get to this really strange Kind of turn a phrase almost in First Corinthians thirteen, where suddenly he starts talking about, "Hey, you know, when I was a kid, I used to think and talk and act like a kid. But when I became a grown up, I put all that kid stuff away." And you're like, "What does that have to do with love? <laughs> like, what is he talking about?" And a lot of times, that that text has been taken out of context, and it's talking about your maturity. You know, what shows your maturity the most is your love for one another. And what he's saying is this, he's using an analogy to go, when you were a kid, you did things kids did because you didn't know any better. When you grew up, you started to learn and walk in more mature ways. And that is simply an analogy he's using to talk about what literally he was saying right before that. You prophesy now because that's what's needed now for this season, for this Partial temporal world we live in. People need to hear the spoken word of God from humans because they are not in the physical presence of God Himself. That's why you have the gift of prophecy. Guess what? There will come a day where you no longer need that because people will be in the presence of God Himself speaking directly and clearly to us. That's good news. I hope we don't have to prophesy forever. There will come a day when you don't need your wisdom and your knowledge gifts anymore. Why? Because how was it in the beginning that God would tell the humans what was good and not good, what was right and not right? And they were called to trust in him and follow him in that way. It was the moment when they thought, no, we could decide for ourselves. We could have that wisdom for ourselves that we created a whole mess, right? So... Wisdom, knowledge, it's a good thing. But when you're in the presence of the one who created all things, knows exactly how it all works, and is right there guiding you through it, you don't need that anymore. He goes, all those things will pass away just like your childhood passes away. But you know what you grow into and you never grow out of? The love of God. That will never go away. Because if God himself is the very essence of love, if all forms of love come from God, he is the source of it, and you are dwelling in the presence of God himself, you will forever experience the eternal, never-ending, sacrificial, actionable, intentional, relational love of God for you and for me and for the world. If that's the thing that's never going away, if that's the only gift that's eternal, all those other ones are fine. But what should you set your sights on? The love of God. That love never ends. He said, I know in part now, but then I will know fully, just as I am fully known. This God, he already fully knows you. And he knows the things about you that you need to grow out of, right? And he knows the things about you that need to perish away. And he still fully loves you. And there will come a day when our love will look more and more and more fully like his love. And we will be able to love each other perfectly, love his creation that he called us to care for perfectly and love him more perfectly. But until then, until then, while we're still in this broken, dark world. Hold on to these three things above all other spiritual gifts, all other things that look amazing. Man, I wish I could do that like this person does. Now hold on to these three things. Faith. Believing that Jesus is who he said he is. And living like that's so. Hope which we talked about last week. I have this confident assurance that Jesus is returning and he's restoring all things. And those of us who are in Christ, we will live forever in the goodness of God's presence. And love. And even out of those three beautiful, amazing things that you should seek after, the most important one is love. 1 John four 19, I'll finish with this, reminds us, reminds us, in case you're still feeling like, man, I don't do that. I can't do that. You can't on your own. It reminds us, 1 John four nineteen, that we love because why? Because God first loved us. God moved intentionally toward us and sacrificed for us, and he loves us. And because we have seen and experienced the love of God through Jesus, We now actually have the power by his spirit dwelling among us to love like him. So, when you're struggling with it, when you're irritable, when you're self seeking, when you're being rude, that's a moment of repentance. That's the invitation offered to you to stop and go, Wait a second, I'm living for myself here. Let me turn. That's repenting. Let me turn and see the love of God shown to me through Jesus. So I pray that that's what this morning is, but I pray through this season, this Christmas season, that gets all busy and crazy, and there's all kinds of distractions out there for us, that we would take the time to stop and turn and look, for the very reason that we're celebrating this season, look to the love of God shown to us through Jesus Christ. Let's pray.